Lord our God, we thank you for your word, the scriptures that you speak to us. So Lord, help us to hear what you have to say. Uh, have open ears and hearts uh, to put your word into practice this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, and did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? Did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Mary, what song is this? It's Jerusalem, right? The unofficial English national anthem, Will and Kate's Wedding. You remember that? A few years ago, there was the... Okay, it doesn't matter. Organ, music. Um, whether we talk about the modern city in Israel, Jerusalem, where politics and religion are all meshed together, or whether this song, Jerusalem, is sung at full voice at football stadiums around the UK, uh, this city, Jerusalem, the topic of this psalm captures the popular imagination. So what's with Jerusalem? What's with the city? I think for many Christians, we can either make too much of the modern city of Jerusalem or we can forget about Jerusalem altogether. Uh, but God has a lot to say about it. And in this psalm, we see a summary, really, a summary really of what the Bible teaches about Jerusalem, sort of in micro form. God teaches us here in Psalm 122 the significance of this city. As I said before, we're in a sermon series on the songs of ascents. These are journey songs, uh, pilgrim songs sung along the journey as um, God's people, Israel, travel towards this city called Jerusalem to worship God. And these songs of ascents, as the title says there, uh, they, were, they were sung, they were prayed as these people walked towards the city. And for us today, God teaches us through these words, through this psalm, what we are to pray for as well as followers of Jesus. Now, we may think too little or too much about Jerusalem, but today we'll see that Jerusalem is something we all should be about. Because Psalm 122 is not just for the Old Testament back then, it's for Christians today. It's our song as well. And the good news is that Jesus is the fulfilment of what Jerusalem was meant to be about. Jerusalem is all tied up in who Jesus is. And as we'll see, we who join in the pilgrim song as believers today, uh, we've, we, this is our song as well. I've got three points today. I'm going to tell you them. Um, so point one, the pilgrim's joy on the way to Jerusalem. Point two, the pilgrim's praise in Jerusalem. Point three, the pilgrim's prayer for Jerusalem. Now, one of my favourite places to visit is the walls of Jerusalem National Park. Who's been there? Yeah, oh, there's a few hands. Awesome. I'm due for another walk. It takes about three hours to get there um, to the campsite, I think, about that. Um, and at the, at the campsite, you, you camp below the walls of Jerusalem itself. And for several hundred metres, you have to push uphill. You're tired from like the end of the three-hour journey. You're tired and you have to push uphill for these final few hundred metres, but it's all worth it. Because when you arrive in the walls of Jerusalem, the grand vista is laid out before you. Sheer mountains on every side. And then you soon forget the effort it took to actually get there. You look, there's the West Wall. There's the temple. There's the Pool of Siloam. And off in the distance, Mount Jerusalem itself. The psalm writer David, King David, 
is experiencing something of this feeling, I think, in verses 1 and 2. The pilgrims of Israel also, they've made it up the hill. They've pushed up the hill. They've made it to the gates of the city. In Psalm 120, back a few Psalms, the pilgrims were in a distant land. They were far away. They were far from home. Psalm 121, they are on the way. But there was danger all around them. Psalm 122, today, we see them, they've made it. And they're praising God for the city. And so as a first point here, we find the, joy, the pilgrims' joy in Jerusalem. David's song, as it says there at the top, it's written later in his life, most likely. And it's bundled into this collection of songs of ascent, several hundred years later, probably. That's been sung over the centuries by pilgrims journeying to Jerusalem. So these words have lasting significance, even for us today. So verses 1 and 2. And it says, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Why is David rejoicing? Why? First one, he's rejoicing really because of the people around him. He's going with this group, these people, to worship the Lord. He's going to where? To the house of the Lord, it says, verse 1. Let's go to the house of the Lord. David is longing to experience God in worship, to sing God's praises, to hear God's word, to be guided by what God says and his promises. But David in this verse is particularly rejoicing because he's going to do it with other people. He's going to worship with fellow worshippers. He's together with them. You know, at times the journey in the Christian life can feel lonely. David knew this. We know this. You may be the only Christian in your class at school. You might be the only Christian in your office or in your family. And as a Christian, you see life in a different way than every other person. But even then, take encouragement. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're joined by fellow pilgrims. Each of us a gift from God to each other. God gives us people along the way, along the journey. Just think about the Christians God has placed in your life. Maybe the kids. Maybe a parent has brought you to church today. Maybe you're sitting next to a fellow kid who believes in Jesus. Um, maybe you've always had a close friend who has encouraged you in your faith. Maybe you can remember back to a Friday night youth group leader who, who read the Bible with you every week. Shouldn't our attitude to other Christians reflect David's heart here? He rejoices that he's not alone, but that he gets to worship the Lord with other people. Friends, God doesn't save us to be by ourselves. He gives us each other, fellow worshippers, people who often prod and poke you to get along to church, people who will send you a message when, to say they've missed you when you've been away for a while. And isn't it good that we're here together today? So that's the first point. Joy as they've made it to Jerusalem. They've made it and so we're to rejoice in the fact that we get to worship God together with each other. And now the pilgrims praise. When we moved back to Launceston, I remember the, the, the feeling of looking at Launceston with fresh eyes. Um, sometimes you don't know what you've got until you, you don't have it anymore. The streetscapes in Launceston are lovely. 
It's a beautiful city. Back in the late 1800s, gold from the West Coast flowed in. The wealth came in to Launceston. People became rich and we've been left with this legacy of architecture. I can imagine David here in, these, in this psalm admiring the city. He's admiring the city. Verse 3, what does it say? Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. It functions well. It's doing what a good city is supposed to. But more than that, this is a special city. This is a special city. When I look at Launceston, I see great buildings, I see friendly people and great cafes. But when David and the pilgrims later looked at Jerusalem, they saw more than that. They saw God's city. That's what they saw. This is God's city. It's been set up and designed to, uh, to function as the place of worship for God's people, as the capital city. This is the city that unites all of God's people. See verse 4. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. Now, Jerusalem is the place where God told his people to go worship him. That's the place. As verse 1 and verse 9 say, it's where the house, house of the Lord is. This is the, the tabernacle for David and the temple later for God's people. It's where offerings were made by the priests to atone for sins. This is where forgiveness happened. This is where worship happened. The tribes were to go up to Jerusalem to praise the name of the Lord. But also, verse 5, it's not only the spiritual epicentre of Israel, like Canberra is for Australia, it's the political centre as well. Verse 5, it says, There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. You know, this is the king's city where judgments are made, where uh, justice is to be done. Jerusalem is the place where God rules through his appointed king. This is God's place, God's city. A city also with great promises attached to it. Jerusalem is the place, in the words of 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, where God promises David, and I quote, that your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And Jerusalem was the place where that promise was attached to. King David's greatest descendant, you see, Jesus, would be crowned. The ultimate king would come to Jerusalem. And so David, he stands at Jerusalem, verses 3 to 5, looking around at the city. He's looking around, he's looking around, and he's full of wonder, he's full of joy, because God, what God has done, because of what this city represents for God's people. David praises God for the city, or for all that God has done for his people. And so for us as Christians today, as believers in Jesus, I think we need to take a leaf out of David's book here and just take time to thank God for all that God has done, all the, his plans, his promises that he's worked in the Lord Jesus. There is so much for, to be thankful for. You know, Jerusalem wasn't perfect. David knew that. But there was so much to thank God for. Shouldn't we do the same? David saw the tribes. Shouldn't li we likewise praise God for the people around us, God's people in unity together, all coming to worship the Lord and serving Lord Jesus? Shouldn't our hearts be full of delight as we look around and see that all that God is doing through the Lord Jesus? 
I don't know about you, maybe it's me, but I suspect it's probably you as well. It is easy to get grumpy sometimes, isn't it? You find it's easy to get grumpy? Maybe these holidays you had a list of things you wanted to do, but you've only made it off the first thing and the holidays are slowly but surely uh, winding up. You just don't get the things done you want to do. My house is a mess at the moment. Uh, we're sort of rearranging all the kids in our house. My office doesn't really exist anymore. There's like piles of stuff everywhere and it just sits there taunting me because I can't get to it at the moment. We can get grumpy with how things are. And sometimes we can get grumpy at the church as well. Christian community can be challenging. Each one of us with different needs and expectations all thrown in together. But there's something glorious about it. Look what God is doing. Look, what, look around. The church, this church is a foretaste of glory. The church is an embassy of the new creation. A place where God promises to meet with us. You know, the church working in unity and harmony like Jerusalem was, loving each other, we, getting on as faithful parents, school teachers, whatever, and so on. People who love Jesus. This looks so ordinary, but one day it'll be revealed for what it really is, the glorious church of Christ. See what God is doing? It's not perfect now, but God is teaching us through David's words to look around and just Thank God for what he is doing. Praise him for it. Look at what Jesus is doing. He's brought people from different backgrounds, experiences, tastes, and he's united us to himself and to each other. The great preacher um, Charles Spurgeon applies these, these verses to our unity as a local church here in Hadspen. He says, a church should be one in creed and one in heart, one in testimony and one in service, one in aspiration and one in sympathy. Shouldn't this be us? One, united, harmonious together. As we work to plant this church over the next 12 months, um, we're to do this as one, as we, as we work together in harmony, as Spurgeon says, in one creed, one in heart, especially when we feel the grumps coming on. God has done and is doing wonderful things. In Jesus, he's continuing his work week by week, day after day, through the Holy Spirit in us. So does looking at the church lead you to give thanks to God? This leads us on to the last point in the last verses. David's and the pilgrim's prayer for the city. They pray for what I think what we all long for, which is, what do they pray for? They pray for peace. Verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I'll say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. They pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But why this prayer? What's important about this prayer? It's because of what Jerusalem represents, you see. God's city. David understood it, the pilgrims understood it. Jerusalem is where, where God is present with his people, where God rules through his king. This is why they prayed for peace, for the protection, the welfare, for all inside the walls. Because of what Jerusalem is for them. 
But in the end, this prayer would ultimately be answered in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the fulfilment of this, this prayer, what this city was all about. For as we begin to realise what Jerusalem was for the people of God, we realise that why Jesus needed to come. It's no accident that when Jesus comes along, hundreds of years later, he says that he's the son of David. He's the Messiah. He's in David's house. He's the king come to rule. And Jesus says he's the true temple. He's the great priest who sacrifices himself for his people. That, the worship at the temple for, he finds its fulfilment in Jesus. And not only that, Jesus brings peace. He brings peace, real lasting peace. Peace between God and humanity for all who have faith, who trust in Jesus. When Jesus comes, the old bricks and stone temple, they fade. They don't because Jerusalem doesn't receive uh, their king. And a new Jerusalem arises, a Jerusalem more glorious, not made of stone, but of people. And we read that in Hebrews before, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, I'll, I'll quote a little bit. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And so today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, then you're a part of this new Jerusalem. You're part of the city that God has built. You're part of this place. In Christ, you're part of the church. Martin Luther, a pastor from many centuries ago, he puts it well and he says, our Jerusalem is the church, our temple is Christ. Wherever Christ is preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, there we'll be sure that God dwells in is our temple, our tabernacle, our cherubim, our mercy seat, for there God is present with us by his word. And so, friends, let us be for the peace of the city, as this psalm says. Let us love and pray for Jerusalem, which is to pray for the church. Let's cultivate in us a concern for the church. Let's be wholehearted, all in. People who love the church. You know, sometimes it's easy to be caught up in what's going on right now in your life. Things that go on in your life. Maybe it's moving house or rearranging your house like I am, planning a holiday, whatever it is at work. But here the psalm tells us where our heart should be. We should be church people, praying for its peace, praying that Jesus' church would be blessed by God in whatever situation, wherever the church finds itself. So in our own times of prayer, let's keep our own needs and concerns before the Lord. Let's do that, but let's also pray for the church. Keep it front and centre in your prayers. And maybe pray for mission teams, maybe for translation work, for denominations who organise the admin, for gospel ministry that's happening all around the world, wherever the name of Jesus is named. And let's pray for us as a local church right here in this place. As, as verse 6 says, for our church's um, health and well-being, for our own peace, let's pray for that, that we continue to get along with each other as we are and not let division arise or arguments Quick to forgive because we will sin against each other. Quick to reconcile. 
and that we'd be all about loving Jesus and loving each other, which is hard to do at times. Being for the well-being of the church means investing time in each other, in each other's lives. Loving each other means sticking around to talk to people. It means asking how the other person's going. Now, maybe for the kids, maybe this week you can pray for people here at church. Maybe you can add some names to your prayer times this week. That's also a good thing for the grown-ups to do, by the way. Being for the peace of the church, as verse 8 says, means having a heart for the other, for other people. Praying for the church means wanting what is best for friends and family, for the other people. So let's pray. Let's love, let's invest in and be for the peace of Christ's church. Jerusalem's a great city. Um, It's not really about what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. It's about Jesus. It's about his people. So let's rejoice in the worship of the city, that God gives us people along the journey to worship the Lord together. Let's praise God that Jesus is our great king, our great priest, the fulfilment of all that city uh, was pointing towards. And let's pray for one another, the beloved church of Christ. Let's pray for peace as we all serve Jesus together. For when we see the church now, it's not yet what it will be. It's just a glimpse, right? One day we'll be revealed a heavenly and glorious because the best is yet to come. Revelation 21 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's what the prayer is looking forward to. And it's what we have now in the Lord Jesus and what we pray for as we look to the future as well. A city at peace. Amen. I'm going to invite Brody up to lead us in prayer.